You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. If we haven't met before, my name is Matt Luloyan. I serve as one of the pastors here at Liberty Church. And if you have Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. So you can make your way there. That's going to be page 1007 if you're using one of the black hardcover Bibles that Elise mentioned just a, a, moment, of go, a moment ago. Last week, uh, if you're able to be with us for that, uh, we kicked off a new series in the Rhythms of Grace. And so for the rest of the summer, we're going to be looking at these nine rhythms, these nine habits or pursuits, which are part of faithfully following Jesus. Uh, this morning, uh, we're talking about gathered worship. It's one of the rhythms, we call it gathered worship. And just want to get this out there from the start. This is maybe the most awkward rhythm of grace to preach about. Because here you are. Because here you are. Like if we looked up echo chamber in the dictionary, we might see a picture of me preaching to a room full of gathered worshipers about gathered worship. Most of you, at least many of you in the room, you already value this rhythm in your life. It's really important to you. And it's actually people who aren't here right now and people who might never hear a sermon about gathered worship that probably most need to, to hear it. But I'm hopeful today that God will do a few things with our, with our time. First, that for any of us who, who do gather, but who maybe do so primarily out of obligation, out of discipline, I'm hopeful that God will renew your delight and renew your desire for gathered worship, that you would see, maybe for the first time, or maybe again, that this is not just something we should do, but it's actually something we get to do as the people of God. Second, I'm hopeful that that we would be better equipped to have gracious and intentional conversations with people in our lives that we know who, who profess faith in Jesus, but who functionally devalue gathered worship by their neglect of it. And maybe even as I say that, you you probably even have some people come to mind, some friends of yours or some family members for whom that's true. Well, rather than judging them from a distance, what if we were able to more thoughtfully engage with them about why they perhaps don't see the value of gathered worship, why they don't gather on a regular basis? And third, uh, my hope is that in a post-COVID world where virtual churches and virtual worship gatherings are, are no longer a novelty, but have increasingly become the norm for many, I want to convince you that gathering physically in person with other people is essential for Christians and not optional. So that's a lot of hopes. It's a lot that I'm asking God to do in a short period of time this morning. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive right into Hebrews chapter 10. Father God, we rejoice this morning that you have not stayed distant from us or hidden from us, but you have revealed yourself And we ask that as we now hear your scriptures, that we would learn from them, that we would inwardly digest them, that we would be transformed by them. And that through our time this morning, we would increasingly hold fast to the hope of eternal life, the life which you have given us in your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray all of these things. Amen. I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love We actually got to hear this passage once already today, but we'll read it again. This is Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, that word in the original language means siblings, so we could say, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. The backdrop for Hebrews chapter 10 is that some Christians from the Christian community there are, are pulling back. They're not gathering together anymore. And a lot of that in the original context owed to the risk of persecution. As Christianity expanded, especially in the latter half of the first century, it was increasingly perceived as a threat to the Roman Empire. On top of that, of course, it had long been perceived as a threat to many Jewish people who did not recognize or honor Jesus as the Messiah and who now for many decades had seen thousands and thousands of men and women convert and leave the Jewish faith and become Christians and follow Jesus. And so the temptation for for this community of Christians to pull back is understandable, but it actually puts them in greater danger. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying here. By seeking to preserve their lives, they are risking their souls. As Hebrews chapter 2 puts it, they become liable to drift away. They become liable to neglect the great salvation that has been accomplished by Jesus and has been held out to them. So I want to acknowledge this this morning, right from the get-go. There are risks to gathering and to being committed to a local church. There are risks, but they pale in comparison to the risks of neglecting to gather. Now, in our time and place, the the primary risks of gathering is not persecution. Uh, We're blessed in so many ways to have freedom of religion, freedom to assemble for worship, But there are still many temptations and many pressures that would lead us to neglect gathering with other Christians. What might some of those pressures and temptations be? Well, one is reputation, a fear of being associated with maybe some of the things that Christians believe, or maybe a fear of being associated with Christians themselves. Most Christians in our culture don't experience anything like the persecution of the first century. But in many circles, Christians are increasingly viewed as irrelevant at best, and many times even even worse than that, harmful, backward, a danger to society. Other temptations or pressures would be apathy or ignorance or laziness, not seeing the need or, or the value of gathering for worship with other Christians, or maybe seeing that value but not really caring about it. There are, and we we know this well, especially in a post-COVID world, there are other ways to spend your Sunday morning. There are other ways, easier ways, maybe sometimes maybe more fun ways, it feels like, to spend your Sunday mornings, including now sitting in front of your TV or tablet or your phone and watching other Christians gather for worship. Another pressure, another pressure is vulnerability. Some don't gather because they don't want to be known by other Christians for fear that they won't be welcomed, for fear that they won't be accepted in that community. Another one is independence. Independence, you only want to do what you want to do. You don't want to be burdened by the lives, by the problems of other people. You don't want to be that attached 
And if things get too difficult or if the grass looks greener elsewhere, you want to be able to move light and fast. Kind of like a a good friend of mine about 15 years or so ago when he got married, his whole goal was to have everything he owned fit into the back of his SUV so he could just pick up and take off in a moment. And he learned quickly as a married man that doesn't work really well. His wife was not okay with that kind of setup. But you want to move light and fast. And then another one, another one is past wounds. You've been hurt in the church, by the church. And gathering with God's people then doesn't feel like a gift to you. It feels like a nightmare. And for some people, including some of you, that's a really severe kind of wounding, even different forms of abuse. So that's not an exhaustive list, but I hope this morning that you at least start to hear a little bit of the range. There's more than one reason why Christians pull back from gathering together in worship. Some of them are rooted in defiance or laziness, but not all of them. Not all of them. Sometimes people pull back in immense weakness. Sometimes people pull back because of overwhelming shame. And as we walk in love with one another, we need the whole range of possibilities in mind. If we always just automatically assume it's laziness that that someone's not gathering, we're going to further wound people who have already been wounded. And on the other hand, if we always assume it's wounds and we just walk on eggshells all the time and tread that lightly, we'll avoid challenging laziness or challenging independence that does need to be challenged in some of us. Regardless of the specific reason, here's, here's where there's commonality with the original audience of Hebrews. There are risks to gathering and being committed to a local church. And even you doing that this morning, you risk reputation, you risk vulnerability, you risk being wounded even. And yet, these risks pale in comparison to the risks of neglecting to meet together. This passage in Hebrews 10 includes three different exhortations, three charges that this author gives to the readers. To reject them is really to put ourselves at greater risk. But to heed them is actually to experience God's gifts, God's grace in a way that strengthens and sustains us. And so I want to spend the rest of the time we have this morning considering those three exhortations. We gather to worship because it is our primary communal way to do these three things, to draw near, to hold fast, and to stir up. Draw near, hold fast, and stir up. So first, first, gathered worship is how we draw near. The book of Hebrews shows us how the shadows of the old covenant find their fulfillment, find their substance in the new covenant. So really, few other books in our Bible show us so clearly that the Bible, that Scripture is one story, that it's the story of God's redemption from beginning to end. And one of the themes of the book of Hebrews is drawing near to God. So under the old covenant, the presence of God dwelt in the temple, and more specifically in the Holy of Holies, the inner part of that temple. Once a year, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of the people. But in the death of Jesus, as the author of Hebrews is writing here, in the death of Jesus, the way to the presence of God has been opened. When Jesus took sin upon himself on the cross, the curtain that divided the people from the presence of God was torn in two from top to bottom. And as both the victim and the priest in that moment, Jesus opened, as it says here in verse 20, a new and living way to God. 
And it's really impossible for us to overstate the significance of that for our worship, for our lives following Christ. We have access to the presence of God with only Jesus as a mediator. We have full assurance of faith solely because of Jesus. It's a beautiful reality, but it's one that Western culture has privatized and individualized in a way that was never meant to be. And so, so no, you don't need other human mediators between yourself and God. You don't have to confess your sins to me as a pastor, for example. You don't need to go through the head of your household to have your own relationship with God. You can have your own access to God with the only mediator being Jesus. But you are saved into a people. You are saved into a community that Jesus has purified, is purifying for his own possession. And with that curtain now torn, where does the presence of God dwell? It dwells in us. It dwells in us. The Spirit of God dwells in you. But I would submit to you this morning that this too, this concept has been hyper-individualized. So in 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul writes, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And the yous in that sentence are plural, not singular. So he's saying you collectively are God's temple. God's Spirit dwells in you collectively. To borrow my wife's native Texan for just a moment. It's all y'all. God's spirit dwells in all y'all. And that same plural language is employed throughout this text. I hope you heard it as I was reading it. Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter through the way he opened for us, since we have a great high priest, let us draw near with our hearts sprinkled clean, with our bodies washed with pure water. So there are really rich individual pursuits of drawing near to God. And we're going to talk about them this summer. They they show up in the rhythms of grace. But we are meant to draw near to God together. Individually, we are fickle and we are scattered and we are sporadic. And sometimes we feel really near to God and sometimes God feels really distant to us. But regardless of how you are feeling individually, when we collectively gather for worship, We can continue to draw near to God. We can, with confidence, enter into the holy places and the presence of God, confident that we'll receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. And I'm sure many of you already know this, but there will be times, days, months of your life where you find none of that confidence in your own soul. But in hearing other people's voices lifted to God, in coming with other people to Jesus' table, you actually can borrow the confidence of the other worshipers around you in that moment. You can be a little bit like that lame man in Mark chapter 2 who had no hope in and of himself of getting into the presence of Jesus, but whose friends picked up the corners of his mat and walked him there. When you have no confidence in your own soul, when you gather and you hear the other voices of God's people lifted in worship together, they are as it were, picking up the corners of your mat and carrying you to the presence of God. Second, second exhortation here. Gathering for worship is how we hold fast. Hold fast. Look again there at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. In every generation, there is enormous pressure on the people of God to waver in their convictions, to waver in their confession. 
And one of the best defenses we have, even though we don't think of it this way, one of the best defenses we have is gathered worship. Coming together in a place where the gospel, the good news of Jesus is proclaimed. Coming together in a place where the sacraments of baptism, bodies being washed with pure water, as verse 22 puts it, and the Lord's Supper, the meal of Jesus' flesh and blood, where those are faithfully administered, this becomes an anchor for the people of God. It becomes a way that we hold fast. As Michael led us in liturgy this morning, as other liturgists have done from time to time, you heard this morning, there's not only a a rich history, but deep purpose behind why we worship the way we do. We are rehearsing the gospel by the different parts of our liturgy. And that is an incredible joy and encouragement to me as a pastor because it's not just me or whoever's up front speaking that's saying the gospel to you, but it's actually us collectively participating, enacting the good news of Jesus together every time we worship. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because we become what we worship. Because we are formed into the image of of whatever or whoever we worship. And rehearsing the gospel together helps form us into the image of Jesus, into his love and his truth, into his grace, into his hope. And as it does that, it solidifies us as those who really can hold fast to our confession without wavering. As Christians in this cultural moment, we desperately need that kind of deep formation. We desperately need this kind of deep formation because whether you're aware of it or not, you're always being formed. You're always being inundated with messages that are meant to shape you in one way or another. Some of you guys know this and feel this acutely each week. By many standards, our worship services are long. So best practices would say when you gather for worship in this cultural moment, 21st century America, An hour or just less than an hour would be about the right length of time. We worship for 90 minutes. Now our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, some of them are like, hold my shofar. We're just getting started at 90 minutes. We're going to be here for a few hours. Okay, We're amateurs to some of our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. But even if we met for three or four hours a week, that would be dwarfed by the hours you're being formed and shaped by other messages, would it not? You'd be dwarfed by that. How many hours a week do you watch TV, for example? How many hours a week do you spend on your phones? Your phones actually will tell you this information now and compare it week over week how you're, how you're doing. And what do we do when we're on our phones, news and sports and social media? Whether you're aware of that or not, it's all forming us. It's all forming us. And the vast majority of it is forming you to waver, if you're honest. The vast majority of it's forming you to waver, to do anything but hold fast. The vast majority of it is forming you to think, for example, that there are no moral absolutes. There's just your truth. There's just self-actualization. And that you have to be true to yourself at all costs. It's forming you to think that sex and gender are just completely up for grabs. Do whatever you want with whoever you want, whenever you want, as long as it feels okay to you and to them. It might be, if it talks about Jesus or anything related to Christianity, it'd be forming us to think things like that Jesus might have some good ethical teachings, but he has no claim on your life. That the Bible has no real authority or bearing on how we should live. It's just an ancient book written by ancient people. Or that there is no such thing as hell. There is no such thing as the wrath of God that we need to be attentive to and aware of. 
fearful of even. So we need to be deeply formed in the gospel. And gathered worship cannot be the entire game plan for that. It cannot just be about gathered worship, but gathered worship should be an integral part of it. It's one of God's primary means. And not only as a guard against us wavering or drifting away, but it's also one of God's primary means to equip us for movement into this world and among people that he loves. Gather worship is both preventative and preparatory. It's both guarding us against wavering and drifting away, but it's also preparing us to move out into this world that God loves. Again, we hyper-individualize this charge to hold fast. We hyper-individualize it. We, we love superheroes in our culture. We love the one person that stands for what's right when everybody else is doing it wrong, when everything else is going wrong. And we even have these kinds of heroes in the history of Christianity, in the history of the church. We have Athanasius at Nicaea. We have St. Patrick in Ireland. We have Martin Luther and the other reformers in the Protestant Reformation. It's tempting to do the same thing in our lives, to view ourselves as completely alone in standing for what's true. It's me versus the world. But the reality is, none of these examples truly stood alone. They all had people around them holding up their arms. And we don't hear about these examples near as much, but it's actually far more normative. It's far more common for the people of God to hold fast together through really simple, really ordinary, quote-unquote, means like gathering each week for worship. That's how it almost always happens in the history of the church. Holding fast is a communal endeavor. There was a great news story a few years back that I think illustrates this idea really well. Uh, While swimming in Florida, because when it's a crazy story, it's always Florida. It's always a Florida thing. A family was swept out about 100 yards into the ocean by some really powerful rip currents. And a few individuals on the beach noticed that this family was in trouble and attempted one by one to go out and rescue them. But the rescuers quickly ended up stranded themselves. They not only couldn't help them, but they were now added to the stranded. And so it quickly became clear that these now 10 people out there were not going to be able to keep their heads above water long enough for one of the rescue boats to to make it out there to them and pull them aboard. And so 80 people, 8-0, 80 people formed a human chain to stretch all the way out from solid ground on the beach to where the swimmers were stranded out in the ocean. And they reached each one of those 10 people and one by one passed them back down that human chain until all 10 of them were safely back on land. That's what we're doing in gathered worship. That's what we're forming in gathered worship, in hearing the word preached, in seeing the word visibly in the sacraments, in proclaiming what we believe in the Apostles' Creed. We are tethering ourselves to our confession. We are anchoring ourselves to solid Ground. We are remembering and proclaiming, as the author of Hebrews says, that he who promised is faithful. And as we cling to that faithfulness of God, we are holding on to one another. So that even those of us that are the furthest out in the rip currents, the furthest out actually engaging with people in this world who want nothing to do with Jesus and immersed in the real messiness of their lives, the furthest out can still hold fast when we're anchored together like that. And I would say to you this morning, remember that when you begin to see someone that you know, someone that you love drifting away from their faith, most often it is not the effort of the one heroic rescuer that will bring him or her back. And many people who have attempted that actually become another casualty of the current. 
we are much more likely to hold fast together. And when we proclaim with one voice the gospel of our God and King Jesus Christ, when we rehearse and enact and confess this together in gathered worship, we are being formed to hold fast. Third and finally, third and finally, gathering for worship is how we stir up. How we stir up. Verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The point of gathered worship is not attendance. It's not attendance. The point, what the author's writing here, is to stir one another up, to love and to encourage each other. And most of us want to do that. Most of us want to love and to encourage other people. We want each other to hold fast. We want to do good works together. But sometimes we really struggle to know how we can do that. What I hope you see this morning is that a primary means God has given us to do that is as simple as being present. As simple as being present. So think of it this way. Gathering is not about attendance, but presence. Not attendance, but presence. It's about the promises of a faithful God at work in you and through you in other people's lives. It's about God's promises at work in and through other people in your life. It's about your presence with them. It's about their presence with you. And because it's about presence, it is about attendance. So it's not, it's not, it's much more than attendance. It's just not less than that. You could say it that way. So let's talk for just a moment about the post COVID world in which we all live now. It is so easy to to watch a church service on a screen from home now. And just four years ago, when we actually first started talking about the rhythms of grace, when we rolled this out, that wasn't true. That wasn't the case. Virtual churches and worship services were a novelty still. And now they've really become the norm for many. And in, in a number of circles, at least, they've been, they're considered a, a valid alternative. So you can kind of choose if you want to be part of an in-person worship service, or you can be part of a church's virtual campus, so to speak. What I would say to you this morning is, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing, and I think deep down we all know that. I think deep down we know that. Wendell Berry, a couple decades ago, said, it's easy to imagine that the next great division of the world will be between people who wish to live as creatures and people who wish to live as machines. And I think we know that living increasingly virtual lives is forming us, it's one more choice to live as a machine instead of to live as an actual flesh and blood creature created by God in the image of God to actually experience the flesh and blood presence of other image bearers of God in all kinds of things in life, including worship. For the vast majority of people, Virtual worship is not an acceptable replacement, an acceptable alternative. Now, I do want you to hear me say this. It's an incredible gift for people who are sick. It's an incredible gift for Christians in places so remote or in places so persecuted that there there aren't other Christians to gather with. We're we're not anti-technology. We actually praise God for the gift of technology and the access that people have who are truly unable to gather. So please don't hear me say anything but that. But in spite of the incredible gift that is for those people, we can't let that change the definition of worship. Gathered worship really is about 
presence. It's about drawing near to the presence of God, and it's about doing that in the presence of other flesh and blood people. It's not just about listening to a sermon. I think we're reaping the reaping the, the sowing of, of many years of, of the wrong approach to church where we think it's coming to hear an expert talk about something and to hear a band play a concert. And so, of course, if that's our mentality, then it's not a far leap to say, well, we can do that from home. Podcasts kind of replace the teaching and I can just play music from wherever I am. We do it anyway, all the time. But gathering is not just about listening to a sermon. It's about the sacraments, which scripture actually teaches us are not meant to be participated in privately or individually. It's something we're actually supposed to do together. And it's not just for us to hear a band play a concert. It's about stirring one another up toward love and good deeds. So at this church, and many churches, you will not earn anything for gathering regularly. There's no secret star chart in our offices over here, the staff offices. We don't keep track every week. There's no awards for perfect attendance I grew up in a tradition that had awards for perfect attendance, and they're prominently displayed now on my office wall. They're not. I'm kidding. I, I gave that up a long time ago. Last week, actually, just before this sermon. <laughs> but more importantly, more importantly, you will not earn anything from God by your perfect attendance. And that's because, friends, there is nothing left for you to earn. The work of Jesus is completely sufficient on your behalf. But to neglect gathering is actually to cut yourself off from one of the most powerful means of grace that God has given you. And I invite you to think about it this way. Into the confusion and the chaos and the heartache and the pressures of every week of your life, God has established a rhythm for you to draw near to him, to hold fast and to stir up and to be stirred up. And therefore to forsake the gathering is actually to forsake an outpouring of the grace of God. And this is why, whether it's independence or ignorance or woundedness, when it seems like your best option, when it seems like your only option is to withdraw, don't withdraw. Don't withdraw. Keep gathering. The risks of gathering are not worth comparing with the risk of forsaking this outpouring of the grace of God. And few people have said it as well as Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So let me close this morning with some of his words. He wrote, It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. They remember, as the psalmist did, how they went with the multitude to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise. Bonhoeffer continues, Therefore, Let him who until now has had the privilege of living in common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. Friends, Jesus Christ has opened a new and living way. So let us draw near. Let us Hold fast. Let us stir up one another. May we not neglect meeting together. Instead, may we praise God's grace from the bottom of our hearts for the gift it is to gather in worship with the people of God. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Almighty and loving God, we bless you this morning for the gift of your word, and we bless you this morning for the gift of being able to gather like this. Forgive us 
for taking it for granted. Forgive us for our neglect of it. And I pray this morning for my friends who are able to gather, that you would stir up in us and renew in us a desire, a delight in gathering with your people. For those who have been maybe prone to neglect that because of these last couple years, because of new patterns or habits that have been formed in their life, would you gently but boldly call them back by the work of your spirit? May they see the gift of grace that worshiping in person with other Christians is. I pray for those this morning too, and many of whom that we love deeply ourselves at this church who are truly unable to gather. And we pray that we would only further deepen our commitment and resolve to show love and grace and kindness and compassion to them to be relationally engaged in their lives as best as possible because they're not able to gather, because we know the gift it is to be able to gather. And we know that their heart would be to gather if they could. Would you move us out into this world with this kind of compassion? But now as we come to this table, may we be renewed in the grace that you've shown us. May we gather with your people, proclaiming together, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And it's in this hope we are saved. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.